Praise God. Well, as you can tell, we're beginning a new series called What is Truth? Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. This verse went off in me earlier this year, and I've mentioned to you we were going to get into this subject. Um, and then as I began to study some things about this, it just became very clear to me why this is so critical for the church to know what truth is and where you find truth. And so we'll begin here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for all that you've done. We trust you, Lord, as you lead and guide us. And Lord, we're, we ask you to open the eyes of our understanding this morning that we would know the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus. Father, there are many voices out there speaking in the world today. There are many voices speaking in the church. And we ask you to open the eyes of our understanding to see and discern what truth is in our lives, in this world, and in your kingdom. And Father, we thank you. To do that, we trust in the, in the word of God, which is the word of truth, and in the spirit of truth whom you've given to us. Because one of his purposes in our lives is to open the eyes of our understanding and to reveal truth to us. And we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. While you're turning there, I want to read another scripture to you that just came to me. It's in 3 John. Uh, verse 3. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, that as you walk in truth, or I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. All right, in John chapter 18, this story, of course, is, is Jesus on trial before Pilate. He was arrested the night before. He was brought before the Sanhedrin, before the high priest. And various accusations were made to him, against him. And, and they couldn't find anybody that could make a truthful accusation. So, accusation. so they paid some, some, some men to, to, to lie about what he said. And so he just stood silent before them. And as it says in, in the, in the uh, prophecy of Isaiah, he stood silent before them as a lamb before, as a sheep before the slaughter. But then the, because, the, because the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, could not execute him. They didn't have the authority under Rome's dominion to execute him. They had to take him to the Roman pro governor to get him to pass the death sentence upon, on him. And of course they didn't understand, but that was to fulfill the prophecy of how he would die because the Romans' highest or lowest, their most severe method of execution was crucifixion. The Jews didn't crucify to execute, they stoned people to death. But they couldn't do that at this particular time. So they bring Jesus, the, 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 uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees bring Jesus before Pilate and, so that he will execute him. Because they're just trying to get rid of him. And, and Pilate's got to find some kind of legal basis for him to do this or else he's not going to let them use him. So that's the background to what we see here this morning. And we're going to pick up in verse 33. Pilate entered the praetorium again and he called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? 
And Jesus answered him and said, You're speaking, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you concerning me? You notice how often Jesus answered a question with a question? He would have been a good lawyer. That's what lawyers learn to do that. All right. Pilate answered and said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What is it you've done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered and said, You said rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? Go with me to John 14. This is a few hours before Jesus in his final meeting with his disciples says this to them. Thomas has said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to them, Him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here we have this scene before Pilate. Jesus has been brought before him. He's basically saying, Why did they bring you here? What have you done? They say, you claim to be a king. Are you a king? Jesus says, I'm a king, but not of a kingdom of this world. If I were a king of the kingdom of this world, then those that serve in my kingdom would have come and defended me. But because I'm not of this world, I've come to this world to, to declare truth. And Pilate's question is, what is truth? And this last verse we just read is, Jesus is truth. So here's the scene. You have Pilate standing here. You have Jesus standing in front of him. And Pilate's asking this question. What is truth? And truth himself is standing right in front of him. And he can't see it. And that's where the world is today. Truth is right in front of us. And much of the world cannot see the truth. Because there's so much deception and they do not recognize where truth comes from. And this is what is on my heart to share because my concern is those attitudes I've seen get into the church. And I'm not just talking about this church in general. A confusion about what truth is. There are many voices speaking out into the world what truth is, what's true, and what's not true. This nation has come to a place politically that's extremely divisive. And it's extremely confusing if you're trying to discern 
what's right. If you've not already made up your mind based on one party or another party or one point of view, and you're really trying to find out who's the best candidate, you're really trying to find out what's the best thing to do, it's very confusing because there are many voices out there speaking, and very few of them are really trying to speak truth. What's behind most of their motive is to get elected (laughs) or power. And that's just true. That's true politically, but it's true in every area of life right now. There's such confusion out there. Confusion comes when people don't know what is the truth, how to find the truth, and how to recognize the truth. And that's what was on my heart because the Bible has answers to it. But as I began to study this subject, it opened my eyes to what's really being taught out in the world because I basically live in a a sheltered life. I mean, I go to work here. (laughs) Now, for 20 plus years, I worked out in in the legal world. I worked out where the devils play and the devils work. But for the last almost 20 years, I've been here. And so, I, I, and the, the only real world I deal with is the real world you bring in here. <laughs> now, I, and I, I, I don't watch a lot of the news because I just can't handle watching a lot of the news. So most of the news I watch is the good news about what this word says. It doesn't mean I'm oblivious to what's going on. But if it's not going to help me grow in who I am as a Christian, if it's not going to help me grow in what I need to be as the shepherd of this body, then I'm not going to spend much time taking it in. So as a result, as I began to study what's being taught out there, it shocked me. So I'm going to tread where angel, begin to tread where angels fear to tread. I'm going to begin to discuss some things with us that, that may sound a little heady, a little philosophical, and please forgive me, but I'm going to try to break it down as best I can so that all of us can walk away with an understanding of this. Because there are forces at work in the world right now which are extremely destructive. And because the church doesn't know, by and large, how to discern truth from error, there's no, there's no boundary or protection to keep it from getting into, your, into, into the body of Christ. The, the, our skin is a boundary, a physical boundary, because there are all kinds of germs in the air, but our skin keeps those, keeps those germs out, and in our skin is intended to allow things that are good for us to get in through your mouth and through your nose and things like that. We have the responsibility to discern those things, but the rest of it, your body protects you from. Well, if you don't understand what truth is, then you have no protection against the deceits because the Bible says, and we've talked about this a number of times, Paul wrote to Timothy, said in the, in the last days, many are going to be deceived. Why are they deceived? Because they couldn't recognize truth from error because the lie often looks true. Counterfeiters don't, try to, don't counterfeit $3 bills. Somebody comes up to you and says, Ron... I got, I got, I got to give you some money, and they hand you three dollar bills right away. You know something's wrong because they only counterfeit something that's true, and they have to make it look and feel like that what's true, so you can't discern the difference if you're not trained in it. 
Have you ever taken a $20 bill and give it? They now have a test they do with it where they can test them to see if they're legitimate or not. Why? Because just because it looks like a $20 bill and feels like a $20 bill doesn't mean it's really a true $20 bill. So we need to be trained how to discern truth from error because we're dealing with these issues all the time. And that's what we're going to begin to look at here. Go with me to Isaiah 59 because Isaiah prophesied during a very similar time. Israel was very prosperous at the time. The, 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 what we would call the church, the temple, was very strong. But inwardly, in their morals and in their commitment to the Lord and in their heart, on the inner part of them, they were beginning to rot. And Isaiah says this about the time that he was in. Well, let's look at just verse 14 and 15. Justice has turned back. That's true today. Righteousness stands far off and truth has fallen in the street. Equity, which is justice, cannot enter and as a result, truth fails. The image of something falling in the street is as if it fell off a wagon or a cart and it's left in the street as trash to be run over and treated as as just trash and rubbish. In Isaiah's day, truth had fallen in the street. Why? Nobody valued it anymore. They didn't care about it anymore. It was run over. And that's the condition we find ourselves in today. So this is just an introduction today, but I want to give you a sample of some things. First of all, I'm going to ask some questions. Why do we, why do we need to discern truth? Why is that so important? Well, as a practical matter in our life, without truth we can't communicate with each other. Ever known somebody was a liar? They're just an habitual liar. So you can't believe what they say. You can't communicate with them. So the basis of all communications is we assume each other's telling each other the truth. So if there's no truth, how do I know you're telling me the truth when you say there's no truth? We'll get into that a little more. <clears throat> Alright, so without truth there can be no real communication. Because there has to be some... There has to be some agreed on frame of reference before we can be talking about the same thing. And every husband and wife should say amen because we've all had these communications where she says something and you react to it and then she reacts to your reaction and then when you calm down and talk it out you realize you weren't talking about the same thing after all at all. Because you didn't, you didn't understand what the other person was talking about so there's a miscommunication. So without truth, we will miscommunicate. And remember how important communication is. Genesis 11 is a story of the Tower of Babel. When, when man on his own decided they were going to build a, a, a tower that would take them up into heaven. And it represents man's effort to get to heaven on their own. And they start building this tower. They were unified. And God comes down and says, I'm going to have to stop what they're doing or else they're going to be able to succeed in what they're doing. And God's method of doing that was to confuse their language so that they couldn't communicate together because if they couldn't communicate together, it would destroy their unity. If it destroyed their unity, it destroyed their power. And Satan understands that device and that's what he tries to do in the church. He tries to destroy our communication And by destroying our communication, He destroys our unity. And when our unity is corrupted, it corrupts the power of God in the church. And if the church ever needed its power, it's now. It's now. So secondly, apart from truth, knowing truth, we will be deceived. 
and we'll end up lost. My wife and I are leaving right after the second service and we're driving down to Lancaster, Pennsylvania where Pastor Sam Smucker's church is. We're going to have some meetings with him. Now, if I had no idea where, where Lancaster was, if I really had, you know, down the road, I looked to my wife and say, you know, she looked at me and said, where are we? I have no idea. We've been driving for three hours. I, I don't know where we are. I don't know how to get to Lancaster. I don't know where Lan- I just know we're driving. We're enjoying the journey. I'm going to talk about that. That's become a very popular... Con- well, it's the journey. We're going to see the deception in that. There's a deception in that. That's a good example of what I'm talking about. And you know the people I've heard this, this, this expression from more than anything else is Christians, pastors. Well, it's all about the journey. We're going to see that that's the result of a false teaching out there. I'm not saying they're wrong, but there's something that robs us of. So we're driving along. So yeah, she says, I said, wow, but it's fun. I'm enjoying the journey. Where are we? Where are we, dear? I don't know. She's going to say, are we lost? No, we're enjoying the journey. When are we going to get to Lancaster? I don't know. I don't even know where it is, but we're enjoying the journey. If I, see, where Lancaster is is truth. The route down 95 that Waze app has given me and over the Tappan Zee Bridge and down through 287, that route is truth and it will get me if I go on that road to Lancaster. That's a simple practical example we all understand. But somehow when we get it out of the practical and we get it over into religion and we get it over into other issues of life, we are open to being confused. I remember in, 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 in high school... And in grammar school, I hated math. Oh, I'd rather pull weeds than do math. But in college, I had to take one math course. And they had listed in there something called the new math. Part of the reason I hated math is I never was very good at it. But somehow the idea of new math gave me new hope that maybe I could start over there. So I signed up for it. I don't remember what it taught, but I remember coming to the end of it saying, this is great theory. They were teaching you to question things. But I'll bet you when it comes to having that teacher's salary calculated, she's going to use the old math. (laughs) So apart from truth, we're, we're deceived and we're lost. The third thing is God is truth. So unless we learn to discern truth, we can't know Him. If there's no truth, we can't know God or what He requires of us or what He's done for us. John chapter 8, verse 44. I think they just put it up there. I don't have to turn to it. Jesus says this. And down the road we may get into this debate He had with the Pharisees. Talking to the Pharisees. You're of your father the devil. You know... We're living in an age when we, when we don't want, and we want people to be happy in church and we want to hear messages that, that make everybody feel good and are, are friendly to those that are seeking. Jesus wouldn't have made it in a church like that. Notice what he said to them. You're of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth Why? Because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, 
He speaks from his own resources or nature, for he is a liar and the father of it. So untruth comes from the devil. Truth comes from God. So it's important to know who's talking to me. It's important to know who I'm listening to. It's important to know what I'm letting in me and what I'm not letting into me. Because if I'm not letting truth into me, this is where it's coming from. There's no, there's no teaching out there that's benign, that's innocuous, that's not either good or harmful. Deception is being convinced that something's true when it's not. That's what makes deceived people so dangerous because they're convinced they're right. By the way, what opens you up to deception is pride. John 4.23, we're not going to turn there, but Jesus says those who are true worshipers must worship my Father in spirit and in truth. So we cannot worship God. We can't know God because He is a spirit apart from truth. John 8, 31. Just put it up here. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in Him. Now the other comments He just made later on were for those who didn't believe in Him. If you abide in My word, then you are My disciples indeed. Verse 32. And you shall know that if you abide in my word, we'll look at this later on, if you abide in my word, if you live in my word, not the ideas that are out there from some theologian or some website or some blog, if you abide in my word, you, go back again, I got it, verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The reason many people are tied up in bondage is they're not operating in truth. The reason many people are bound up by fear is they're not operating in truth. And the only way, it's not the truth that will set you free, it's the truth that you know that will set you free. And the only way you can know the truth is from abiding in His Word. If you abide in My Word, then you shall know the truth, then you shall be My disciples. And then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Without a knowledge of the truth, you will be bound up and won't even know that you're bound up. All right. That's by way of background. And here's what I began to discover as I began to look into what's being taught in the world today. There, is a, there have been trends in, in, in philosophies and in teachings, and in, but these things seep into a worldview. And in most of us of my generation, and maybe even those that are immediately under us, were raised in a, in, a, in a world that basically taught, or at least the Western world, were basically taught Christian, Judeo-Christian values. They may not have all been Jews, they may not have all been Christians, but basically the, the, what the Ten Commandments teach are basically true and they're right. may not live by them, but I believe in them. What you see by now is those have been washed away from the world's view of what's even valuable. And so there is a philosophy that began to emerge 
maybe 15 years ago, maybe a little longer than that, that's become a stronghold now in our inst- educational institutions and in, in, in our media and out in the world and now even into the church. And the term that's being used for it is post-modernism. Post, post means after. So after the modern thought of my generation, we have this, or the generation, they got so many letter generations. I think we're down to literation, generation Z is this latest one. I guess that means Jesus is coming back because there are no more letters. <laughs> we had generation X, we had the millennials. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get that all straight, but I know I'm not any of those. I'm a boomer. <laughs> and here's basically, and we're going to break it down more later on, but I want to give you, this is basically an introduction. This is an explanation to see the significance of the difference between what's being taught in the world as truth and what the Word of God teaches us. Now, my purpose today is not to convince somebody that's a postmodernist that they're wrong. My purpose is to help the church understand the difference. Because if we don't understand the difference, we, won't, we, will, we will be confused and allow this thinking because it's very subtle how it comes in. So I'm just going to give you a flavor of what's postmodern. Our current generation is basically being taught that there is no such thing as absolute truth. In fact, as I got into it, postmodernism teaches there is no such thing as truth. I'm so tempted to answer it like, well, how do you know that's true? But we won't go there. <laughs> that, you, that you cannot, that because the, the concept of truth has always been, truth is something that exists out here. And I'm in the process of trying to discern it, recognize it, receive it, and understand it. But it always exists out there whether I'm able to do that or not. Everybody follow me so far? Postmodernism says that's not out there. Truth is basically what I see is real. It goes so far as to say, I define what's true by what I understand. What's underneath this is the, I under, is the, is the experience that because I recognize that every one of us has some bias in how we see things. And I'm not even talking about political or racial bias. Just our own... Well, give you an example. If I ask for a show of hands in here, I'm not going to do that. Uh, well, let me do that. How many of you think it's warm in here? It's more towards the back. You just blew my example. <laughs> you guys aren't cooperating at all. <laughs> Let me do this hypothetically. That's probably because I asked Alan to turn the temperature down because I was warm over there. How many of you feel like it's just right? Thank you. How many of you think it's cold? More towards the back. That's interesting. We have to do this every week. This is an interesting thing. Okay. Now, the reality is there's one temperature in here. But some of you perceived it, one or two perceived it as cold. Uh, No, one of you perceived it as warm. Some of you perceived it as just right, and some of you perceived it as as cold? Is that what it was? Okay, all right. And yet it's one temperature. And what, these, what this thinking says is, well, recognizing that I can't fully trust that I'm seeing everything clearly, then I don't know whether there's truth out there or not. How do we know it? So as a result, 
I get to make truth for myself by how I understand things. And that's, that's a simplific- oversimplification of it. So, postmodernism says that there is no absolute truth. It also says that the basic religious systems, all of them, Christianity, Hinduism, Judaism, uh, uh, Muslim, Sikh, all of them, basically, and all the political systems, all the systems of the world that attempt to explain things are myths, M-Y-T-H-S. And the reason they come to that conclusion is none of them seem to have worked. And because none of them work, none of them must be true. So all those, it's, it's, a, it's futile to, to believe in some system like Christianity or Hinduism that attempts to explain what truth is because everybody's got their own idea of what it is. So you pick what you think is right, I'll pick what I think is right. This thinking also is, and this gets back to what I was talking about earlier, that because of this, there's no way to know that there's an end or there's a, a, a final result. So we can't ever know that we get there, so let's appreciate the journey on the way. A very negative point of view. Very hopeless point of view, which is undoubtedly why there is such a high and increasing rate of suicides among young people who have their whole life in front of them. Because what's the point? There's no purpose to it. <laughs> Ravi Zacharias, you know who he is? They, he, he, he spoke at Ohio University a number of years ago and and there's, a, there's an art museum there that's dedicated to this way of thinking. And it has in there art, 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 one John, architectural things that are designed to show this point of view. So it has staircases that don't go anywhere. It has columns that go from the ceiling and don't touch the floor. It has a, a, a series of beams that instead of being underneath the roof are on top of the roof, all to visually communicate that, that what used to be, we consider structures and purpose, really are meaningless. Robbie's great. He looked at it and cocked his head and he says, I wonder if they constructed the foundation with the same idea. <laughs> it's easy to and we can be careful. It's easy to sit in church and laugh at these things, but we need to learn to understand them because that's what's being taught in school out there. That's what's in our media out there, and it's not being said outwardly, it's underneath it. And I'm going to begin to show you some examples of why, what, what that leads to uh, in, in just a moment. In fact, maybe sooner than that. So, postmodernism, th- this is called, I've forgotten the term. I didn't write it down. Okay, anyway, it doesn't matter. So basically, none of the basic belief systems uh, 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 work, and therefore they're not true. So they're just myths that, that make you feel better. See, Karl Marx had that root in there, because he called re- religion the opiate of the people. You know, 
it's not real, but it helps you deal with life, so that's okay. But understand, it's just like taking any drug. If you went back into Marx's background, you'd find why he was disappointed when he thought God failed him somehow. And most of these atheists that teach, if you go back in their history, somewhere in there, they're mad at God over something. Okay, we'll probably get into that later too. Okay. Now, I want to talk about... So instead of, of, instead of truth being something separate that's over here that I'm trying to learn and recognize and understand, they define truth in terms of what works, called pragmatism. They define, they define truth in terms of what If it's working, it must be true. If it, if it explains things, it must be true. In fact, one of these men um, wrote this expression, uh, it's, it's either true because it works, or it works because it's true. doesn't matter. In other words, I get to decide for me what's truth. Here's an example of teaching today that's not just in school, but it's gotten into the world and even into our law. And I was reading it, it just opened my eyes. Here's what that thinking does. That thinking looks at me, it looks at a situation, and says, well, I, I, you know, I don't, I'm uncomfortable with that, I don't understand that, so it must not be right. So what I'm experiencing must be what truth is, so I'll define truth in terms of what I'm experiencing. Here, here's, here's a good example of that today. From as far back as I can remember, and undoubtedly as far back as we have recorded man, when a child was born, one of the first things they determined is whether that child was male or female. And it didn't take a lot of heavy discernment. It didn't take a lot of spirituality. You just look to where the difference normally is. And if something was there, they were male. And if it wasn't, they were female. Now we have technology where you don't have to wait for that. They can tell you as of a certain number of months pregnancy with these ultrasounds. And you get parents that come and call their grandparents and say, Oh, it's a boy, it's a girl, la da 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 da, because they've looked through this wonderful thing of ultrasound and they have checked the vital parts to determine, and they call that the sex of the child. But we've had an explosion of a trend in this day and age where people begin to look at themselves and say, You know what? I feel more feminine than I do masculine. So I must have a feminine side of me or there's a woman living inside of me because that's what I feel. That's what my... Now listen carefully what they're looking at. That's what my tendencies are. Now I'm just using this as an example. But it's a very prevalent example today. So now what we've done, because but if that doesn't line up with the physical equipment that I have or don't have, then that creates a problem for me. Then I'm strange or there's something wrong with me. So now what they're doing is now they've made a logical separation, it's not logical, between what your physical sex is and what your gender is. So you can have a physical body that says you're male, but your gender 
is not that. It's maybe something different and you determine what that is by your desires and your senses that you feel inside of you. And that leap, that step has come because we're not discerning what truth is by some objective evidence, but by some subjective thing that I feel. Do you have any idea how dangerous that is? And I'm not getting into the issue of transgenders. I'm not talking about that. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm trying to show you the thinking processes. Because what that means is I get to decide based on how I understand myself, how I'm feeling today, which by the way may change next year. How I'm feeling today determines who I... So I get to determine who I am and what I am. In other words, I've become my own God. It's a form of idolatry. I've become my own God. Now part of what's underneath this, what's underneath all of this, is a desire to get rid of God. Because as long as there's a God, there's an awareness we're going to have to stand in front of somebody that is objective, that isn't how I feel, and I'm going to have to give an account to him of how I've lived my life. And I want to be able to live my life the way I want to live my life. So therefore, I don't want to think down the road. You know, most of the time we just sort of ignore that there's a God, but somewhere on their side, we know there is. But if I can get rid of God, then I can't be judged for anything because I did basically what I felt was right for me. Everybody following me so far? Nobody throwing anything at me yet? Okay, good. By the way, that's attractive to our flesh. Whatever I desire, whatever feels good, must be right, that's what true is. My goodness. Imagine a four-year-old. Whatever you feel like doing, Johnny, go ahead and do it. It's attractive to our flesh. It makes me my own God, and, as a, and because I don't, because of that, I don't think I can ever be deceived. Because I decide what's truth for me, so I'll never be. I can't ever be deceived. Can you see how the devils work with that? Here's the problem: those attitudes, those thinking processes, have very subtly gotten into the church because they're not dressed up as false. They're not dressed up as heresy. So I want to talk about some of these views. I already kind of touched on one of them. And this again, just an introduction. Uh, A sample of some postmodern views and compare them to what the Bible says is truth. One of these views is that our mind should be open to all possibilities. We should respect and coexist with all different views. In other words, toleration. There's a very popular bumper sticker out there that says, Coexist. And each letter represents a symbol of a different religion. And that sounds great. See, this is what's deceptive about those things. Toleration. Doesn't that sound like the Christian thing to do? It's not. But it's what's taught. You've got to be open-minded. Because to be closed-minded is a terrible thing. And in some, here's where deception works. In some areas, that's exactly right. 
But what we do, and this is where the church gets confused, is we take a principle like toleration or open-mindedness and we throw it everything into that. It's either, either we must tolerate everything or we're intolerant to everything. And we don't learn to discern what should we be tolerant of and what should we not be tolerant of. I mean, to be open-minded, if you're narrow-minded, that means, that means you're never going to learn and you're never going to grow. You've got to be open to new ideas, think outside the box, those kind of things. Right, but there has to be a grounding when you do that of what truth is. And without that bearing, without that foundation, you don't know where it is. It's like driving to Lancaster somewhere. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going there somehow. We used to make trips like that. We belonged to AAA and we had these triptychs. Remember those things? They'd take a map and they'd break it down, the journey down, and they'd have a, they'd draw right, right down here and there's a rest stop here, there's gas. And I, I was the one that had the job of flipping the pages. We got through this one, we got through this one, because I would want to know exactly where we are. Nowadays it's all on GPS and things like that. So let's look at this. Okay. So current view is that our minds should be open to all possibilities. We should respect and coexist with differing views. Now nothing in what I'm about to say should indicate... See, we often confuse how we see people and how we see their ideas or beliefs. So when we, when I'm gonna, what I'm going to be saying, you can interpret and say, well, Pastor John's uh, it's intolerant of people, these kind of people. No, I love them. But the, addict, the belief systems are wrong. So we're to love, and here's, here's the first point. Toleration as a, as a principle is, 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 a, is a counterfeit of what the Bible teaches as love. Toleration says, I'm going to let you be who you are because I'm tolerant. Love says, I love you for who you are. I love you where you are, but because I love you, if you're, if you're going to hell, I'm going to tell you that. See, and, and this is an example of how this has creeped in, and this is Satan's subtlety to destroy the next generation. It's crept into parenting. I met a number of years ago with the superintendent of schools in Seekonk, and she said the biggest problem we have is that our parents think that their job is to be their child's best friend and to make them feel safe and happy and secure. Because of that, they're raising what's called the snowflake generation. Think of a snowflake. It's beautiful. and hits the ground until it warms up. Under pressure, it melts. Because their fundamental belief is the purpose of life is for me to be happy and to be secure. But that comes from parents who think that's their responsibility. They don't understand, but that's not love. Love tells a child they're wrong for the benefit of that child. When I would discipline our children, I always made sure they understand, first of all, what rule of the house they broke. I made them understand that I'm not doing this because I'm angry at you. I'm doing this because I love you. The easiest thing to do is to let this go and not discipline you because I never enjoyed disciplining our children. 
But because I love you, I'm going to teach you that when you go out into this world, the world's going to punish you. I'm going to discipline you. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5, says, Because God is a Father that loves us, He'll discipline us. So love wants what's best for the other person so that we'll tell them the truth. As Ephesians 4 says this, we are to grow and mature as a body of believers by telling the truth to one another in love, by sharing the truth in love. So to withhold the truth is not loving. Toleration says, I'll let you go to hell where you want to go to hell. I'll let you, throw your, I'll let you fill your body up with, with, with heroin if that's what you feel like doing. I'll let you do that because I'm tolerating you. But that's not love. It's a counterfeit for love. Okay. But it sounds unloving to say I don't tolerate. And there's some things to tolerate and some things not to tolerate. Toleration lets us stay where we are. Love cares about us growing and maturing. And here's what I want to get to. The teaching is that, that, that when, you're, when you teach things like quote-unquote truth, you're being narrow. The idea that there's only one way to get to heaven and that's through Jesus, that's narrow-minded. Let me ask you a question. This is not a trick question. This is not new math. Anybody know what 2 plus 2 is? You can shout it out. It's okay. Four. Okay, is 2 plus 2 four? Okay. I'm going to see if they're right over here. What do you say 2 plus 2 is? Some of you aren't so sure. You need to go back to school. <laughs> yeah, but, but why can't it be five? I don't like it being four. Because when I filled it out on my test paper, I said five, and the teacher said I was wrong. How dare she say I was wrong? I like five. I don't like four. Because two plus two is four. Now listen to this. That's a narrow answer, isn't it? Isn't it narrow to think that two plus two can only be four? That's narrow-minded. And see, we can sit here and debate, well, you know, but when you go get your pay calculated again, when they take your 40 hours and your rate, you don't want them to, the employer to say, you know what, I didn't do too well on my times tables. I, I, you know, no, you want it to be whatever math says it is. So math is narrow because truth is narrow. The other thing by nature of truth is it's also exclusive. Two and two can't be five. So it excludes every number other than four. And we understand that in our daily life. But when it comes to being able to stand up for the truth, we get accused of being narrow-minded. Now, what would be narrow-minded was to say there's only one way to heaven and only certain people can go there. See, the doors of heaven are open, but there's only one door into it. And when you really understand that, you don't care what the door is, just let me in it. 
If suddenly an announcement came on that the building's on fire and the fire's out there and the only way out is that door, are you going to argue with it? I came in that door. I like coming in that door. My car's parked out that door. I'm going to go out that door and you're going to die. You don't care as long as you can get out that door. Matthew 7, verse 13. You have it there? Jesus said this, talking about heaven. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide, open, open to all kinds of ideas, open to all kinds of philosophies, is the gate and broad, easy is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Verse 14. Because narrow is the gate, the entrance, and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Why do you think the devil wants to raise a generation of young people that believe the purpose of life is to enjoy life and be safe and have everything easy? because then they won't give up, they won't pay the price to go in by the narrow gate. What we're talking about is vital, is vital. One other view, and then we'll have to end this. So we looked at the current view as that there, of postmodernism is that there's no such thing as truth. Truth is whatever I, I, I think it is. Uh, that, that postmodernism believes we should be open-minded, and, and to- tolerant of all possibilities. And again, there are some things we should be tolerant of people. And the third thing we're going to look at today is that the current view is what used to be true is no longer true. So true is relative, not just to my experience, but it's relative as to time. Yes, I understand that the, in other words, true, what, what we see is true today, what, you, what your values are, what you saw is true in your generation is old-fashioned, it's passé, it's not current, it's not modern, it's not what we need today. And so the theory is that truth doesn't stay the same, even if it's true, it doesn't stay the same. And, and there's truth in that. Today, I'm 71 years old, that's the truth. But I stand before you on September 14th, that's no longer true. It's true today, but on my birthday, and that's not a hint, on my birthday, (laughs) on my birthday, I'm no longer 71, I'm now 72. But the assumption underneath that thinking is this, that This progress from what used to be true, that's old-fashioned, to what's new and modern now, is that we're progressing into something better, not something worse. The assumption is that if it's old, it's not a value anymore. If it's older, then the the more modern is the better because it's more up-to-date. So let me ask you this question. I'm 71 today. That's true today. In September, 
I'll be 72. Now, there's a term we use for that change. When I'm 72, I'm now older than when I was 71. This isn't hard. I'm not tricking here, okay? Follow me here. Now, let's, it's one thing to go back from 72 to 71, but if I went back to 31, I'm 40 years older, but I'm not 40 years stronger. I'm not for, So in that case, older was stronger. Older was better in some ways. So the underlying assumption that because we are moving into something new and modern, that it's better is not necessarily true. We live in an age, and this is part of what I've discovered in my research what's behind this postmodern movement is that, that in, the, in, the, in the end of the 20th, 19th century, th- there was the, the factories were invented and the, and the assembly line was invented and it changed our whole culture. Men, instead of working around their family at home out in the fields or working in someone else's field, now left their job early in the morning, went into a city and, 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 and worked all day and came home, didn't see their family so they weren't around their children to help raise them. But we produced more goods. We, our, the economy flourished and people became wealthier, at least some of them did. And now what we've moved into is instead of the, the, instead of the, the, the industrial revolution, we have an information revolution. We have an explosion of information available to us. I mean, as you know, we've talked about this before. All kinds of information from all around the world has access to me 24 hours a day through that confounded piece of plastic that I carry around. And, 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 and because it comes at us so fast, we don't know whether it's truth or not. See, I'm trained as a lawyer to question and discern whether something's true. But apart from that training, and we have a generation that doesn't know you question, just because, it, just because somebody posted on a blog doesn't mean it's true. Just because somebody posted on Facebook and it goes viral and a million people look at it doesn't mean it's true. Just because you've got 10,000 friends doesn't mean they're friends. Ask them for money. But it makes me feel good. It makes me feel as if I'm wanted. It makes me feel as if I belong. But it's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. Truth. Discerning truth. And I lost my train of thought. Where was I? I'm lost. (laughs) Somewhere between here and Lancaster. (laughs) It was a good point. Not learning to recognize where truth is. What we're going to begin to do is we're going to begin to break down some of this thinking. Oh, it was the explosion of information. The explosion of information. So my question is this. Those of us who've been around a little while, is your life better because of all that information? Is the world better? We have more information, more technology, more ease, more prosperity than we've ever had. So we've made progress. But has it produced a better life? 
So just because something's new does not mean it's better. And what we're going to learn is there's some things that change and some things that are eternal and don't change. So we're going to begin to look at, first the question we're going to look at is, can you know truth? Because one, one of the basic principles of postmodernism is you can't know truth. And we're going to look at, can you know truth? And we're going to look at, what is truth? And then we're going to look at, how do you find truth? And how do you discern whether it's truth or not? So by the time we're done, we'll have a better understanding of what's in the world and what the answer to it is. And then you can decide for yourself what's truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you open the eyes of our understanding to enlighten us. Again, we're not here to convince anybody to change their mind today. We're here to help those of us that already believe in you to understand better the world we're living in and the undercurrents of thought that are out there that are affecting our culture, our media, and everything. And so again, we ask you, Father, to open the eyes of our heart that we could discern what is truth for ourselves, what is truth as you see truth. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name.